Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. What's happening, Derek? Not much, man. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I, I've been waiting for the snow. I want, no, I want to see the snow. I want snow to come. And like, they're talking about a really warm winter this winter. Like El the, Nino. Yeah, is it El Nino or El Nino? El Nino? Yeah, it's El Nino. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, it's going to be a uh, mild and relative, and well, yeah. th- what's unfortunate with, uh, it's, it's good, it's good, it's good and bad. So less precipitation, warmer weather. So that means, you know, not as great skiing, but also in the spring there, on one hand, there, there won't be, unfortunately, as much runoff. So you won't have the same spring runoffs and whitewater canoeing and kayaking in the spring. But also it's going to be hard for farmers because they rely on that, that watershed in the spring to flood fields and get the the farms ready for crops and stuff but so basically what you're saying is my plans to take up skiing this year are useless <laughs> no i'm thinking your plans <laughs> to do some whitewater canoeing in the spring <laughs> or some some snow kayaking yeah, in yeah. the winter oh yes we got to do that yeah <laughs> yeah well we had snow the other day it didn't last long i've wasted my no, time shoveling day. my driveway never never <laughs> oh I, how can you not know this? And I was late. don't shovel your driveway first thing in the middle, <laughs> first thing in the morning on the first snowfalls of the season. It was heavy too. It was wet snow. Yeah, that's why you just leave it because you know the rain's well, coming. And it's going to melt. I had to at least do the sidewalk. Why? Because I'll get a ticket from the city if I don't. It'll be gone before they come around. <laughs> True. It right? Pretty much was. I came home. There was no snow yeah. left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oopsie. Oh well. Uh, Athena turned, we called it dog solstice. Oh. Because the husky half is taking over from the German shepherd half. The snow hit, so we went out for our oh. walk and she didn't realize the snow came. Yeah. She went berserk. Nuts. Absolutely <laughs> nuts. What is this? What is this? What is yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. That was a very um, chaotic walk that morning. Apparently there's a layer <laughs> of crack cocaine on the ground. Right? <laughs> um, when we came home somebody i guess had kids they built a snowman and the next morning we were doing our walk and she started stalking the snowman oh <laughs> not realizing it was a snowman not yeah. knowing what it was and then she got close and started barking at it that's what you want <laughs> you want your dog at six in the morning to oh, yeah. be barking yeah. in the front of somebody's house <laughs> that's what you want trust me <laughs> just trust me on that <sighs> Teach her to pee on snowmen. Yeah. No, she just, I don't know, just goes nuts. Isn't that when funny? It, when, it, when it comes to snow. She absolutely loves it. <laughs> um, well, we got a lot of things to talk about today. We do. Yeah, I was, I spent the week going down a couple of rabbit holes too, so. Uh, first things first, we talk about our jobs. And some mm-hmm. days we think, you know what, I should get a new job. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you ever thought about becoming a cop, yeah. the police department in the remote north woods of Minnesota, the town of Ely, faces the same challenges of recruiting and keeping new officers as countless other law enforcement agencies across the country. So it's offering a unique incentive. Canoes. Which is perfect for where it is. It's right by right boundary, boundary waters. waters. Yeah. 
Ely, a a former mining and logging community that's best known as the gateway to the popular Boundary Waters Canoe Area, will provide free Kevlar canoes worth $3,800 U.S., which is like, that's a $4,500 canoe. That's like a $5 million canoe in Canadian. (laughs) To the next officers it hires and to current employees. So if you're looking for a job, you go to Ely, Minnesota as a cop. Think about this hitting the news and or or just hitting social media and so on. A lot of cops, a lot of people like you know they you want to be a cop. I want to be a cop. I want to get my training. I want to get something under my belt. And and a lot of them are going. I don't want to be a cop in Chicago. That's just dangerous. That's where the experienced cops go is Chicago. So it's like, what if you're what if you're from a small. Can you, like, town. Halliburton or or whatever, like, you know, up yeah. near Algonquin Park, what if you grew up in an area like that? And it's like, hmm, what if there's a town near Quetico that's hiring, like, OPP officers or, or something, right? Yeah. I bet you these are Winona canoes, too. You think? I'm thinking. Is Winona built in... Uh, right down that way, yeah. Is it in Minnesota? Yeah. No, uh, it's in Minnesota or is it in Wisconsin? I can I never remember. This, it's it's all that over way over there. Yeah, it's all it's all over there. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, this is this would be uh, it'd be a, of interest for somebody who wants to be a small town cop and uh, yeah. and and yeah, likes the outdoors. Yeah, right. Yeah, lightweight craft made from the same strong synthetic fibers as bulletproof vests. <laughs> they had to throw that in there, eh? <laughs> yeah, are perfect for paddling off into a nearby wilderness and exploring. It's more than one thousand pristine lakes. The department, consisting of the chief, an assistant chief, and five slots for patrol officers, has one opening now and another coming soon. So either go. somebody's leaving or they're planning Re- retiring something. Retiring or, yeah. or expanding the forces or there some mm-hmm. people retiring. Uh, police chief Chad Hood says he already had two calls expressing interest as of Thursday morning and is expecting at least several more because of the unusual offer. Lots of police departments offer hiring bonuses, he said. So he was looking at a way to stand out. At the suggestion of Assistant Chief Mike Lorenz, uh, they decided to leverage Ely's plentiful outdoor recreational opportunities. You can get done with a shift. Maybe it was a stressful shift. The best way to decompress is go out canoeing, hunting, or fishing. Very so cool. if you're really stressed after a day in the job... Yeah. Here, take this rifle and go shoot something. <laughs> go shoot some animals. <laughs> go shoot. Hop in your canoe. Go shoot some animals. Uh, police departments nationwide have struggled to recruit and retain officers in recent years. Uh, Hood can easily rattle off figures showing the steady decline in the number of people graduating from Minnesota's college law enforcement programs, getting licensed as peace officers. That meant dwindling applications for the Ely Department, just one for Hood's last opening earlier this year. About 200 of Minnesota's 400 law enforcement agencies currently have openings posted on the state licensing board's job site. 200 of 400 oh. law enforcement agencies. Hmm. Wow. Ely City Council approved the chief's $30,000 proposal on Tuesday. Uh, Ely, a community of around 3,200 3, people, about 140 miles or 225 kilometers north of Minneapolis, is getting the money from its $140,000 share of a $300 million public safety assistance bill that the legislature 
approved last year. So it's taking a very small piece of the pie. Right? Just teeny tiny, buy a few canoes. Yeah. Is buying the canoes from local outfitters, some of which have also offered discounts for new officers for camping and other equipment. This is just getting better as it goes. I know. that. Right? that this uh, The rest of this sounds really interesting because you get the local outfitters getting into it and local, you know, if, if they're going to sell their products at a cheaper, oh, it's like, that's fantastic idea. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Department will throw in two paddles and two life jackets. The catch has to be a catch. Well, there's always a catch. New recruits or current employees who take the canoes must commit to staying for three years, or they'll have to pay back a third of the canoe's value for each year they leave early. You're not going there to scam a canoe. You're going there. You're going to take the canoe. You're going to work. That's going to be your new job. (laughs) I'm going to paddle away. What are they going to do? Chase me (laughs) in their canoes with flashing red and (laughs) Blue lights? I'm only doing this for free canoe. <laughs> Look over my shoulder. It's the popo. Paddle faster. <laughs> <laughs> Does that canoe have cop lights on it? Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> wee woo, wee woo, wee. <laughs> oh. Anyway, uh, Ely pays its officers well compared to nearby northern Minnesota communities, uh, starting at around 65000 a year. That's pretty good. It can't pay as much as larger towns, so its officers tend to move on after a few years. Hood is an exception. He moved uh, up to Ely from Minneapolis 19 years ago, uses his own experience, and the town's outdoor lifestyle is a selling point. I basically get to live at my cabin, he says. That's appealing. Isn't it, though? Very appealing. It's like you're camping Mm -hmm. year-round. Yep. And then you jump in your cop car and... yeah go to work for the day it's a small town quiet town it's it's not like it's like chicago detroit yeah. or whatever right yeah hmm. as far as we know as far as we know as far as we know <laughs> it could be like a boss hog in town right they're always out chasing the local outdoor mafia <laughs> yes the outdoor mafia hiding stop signs between behind bushes and giving people lots of tickets and stealing uh, <laughs> tailgates off of trucks yeah. oh yeah Roving gang of ATVers. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah. It's very. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's very interesting. So if you if you're looking for a job as a police officer, there you go. Any of our American wanna, listeners? I don't think our Canadian listeners would be jumping at the chance to be an American cop. But be you surprised. You'd be surprised. So check it out. Check it out. Speaking of boundary waters. Uh, the Boundary Waters permit reservations for the 2024 quota season, May 1st to September 30th, will be available beginning at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time on Wednesday, January 31st. So that's like just over what, a month and a half away. Mm-hmm. Visitors are encouraged to book the reservations online at recreation.gov. Reservations may also be made by calling their numbers. Uh, 877-444-6777. Should I say that again really, really, really fast? <laughs> 877-444-6777. Just go to recreation.gov. Uh, to ensure a successful reservation, forest managers encourage visitors to visit the Superior National Forest website for information on Superior and Boundary Waters page for an overview to traveling in wilderness and helpful trip planning information. Thoroughly review the Boundary Waters trip planning guide. Carefully consider whether a primitive wilderness trip 
is the best option for your group. And that's what people see. I mean, people say, oh, this would be cool. Let's go on a canoe trip. And not realizing what they're getting into until it's too late. Uh, you might discover a gem of a campsite outside the wilderness that provides a unique backcountry experience with no permit reservations or visitor user fees required. Superior has 254 backcountry campsites. Plan ahead by having at least three travel options, dates, and entry points in mind before making a reservation. Exploring new destinations is part of a wilderness experience. So don't just keep going to the same old spot all the time. Yeah, yeah. Reserve only the permits you can use. Choose an entry point that fits your skill level and a trip date that works for your schedule. When a permit holder makes multiple reservations in their name on the same entry day or overlapping reservations, all but one permit will be canceled by the Forest Service without notification. You're not going to just randomly say that. They must have people doing Well, that was just like, like people that. with Algonquin booking all those sites for like all that time. Yeah. And then, you know, they go on and book more more time on that site and then they would only can they'd cancel what yeah, they weren't going to use. Yeah. But what they're saying here is people who would let's say uh entry point like 4, 5 and 6 all mm-hmm. on the east Same side day or and- west side then it's like, "Yo, you can't run three trips from the same from different locations yeah. that same person yeah so and then pick which one you want but at it's that funny time. so they, they somebody must have done it if they yeah it's weird uh do your research now look online for route planning guidebooks trip ideas and information you can also contact local outfitters guides resorts or cooperate cooperate or permit issue st- issuing stations Refer to the back page of the Boundary Waters Trip Planning Guide for more information. Plan your trip properly. Yeah. Don't be mm-hmm. a weenie. The Boundary Waters is a federally regulated area with regulations and rules that must be followed. Permit holders are responsible for sharing the Leave No Trace video series with their entire group prior to arrival. Everyone shares responsibility in preserving wilderness. Videos can be found on the Forest Service YouTube page. So there's a, a the, you go to the Forest uh, yep. Service YouTube page and there's a bunch of videos there about leave no trace and you have to watch them. Hmm. How do they know if you watch them or not? I guess they ask you questions. Hmm. Can you prove you watched it? Yes. <laughs> what was the name of the guy giving the speech? I have a bad memory. Yeah, yeah. He had two eyes. <laughs> Wrong. Hook <laughs> <laughs> and Okay, you watched it. <laughs> So if you're looking to go to Boundary Waters next year, you better be getting your your uh, trips all together where your plans are because, yeah, you got a month and a half till hopefully you get a permit. Mm-hmm. And we were looking because we were talking about quotas before and there's 70 different launch points and some launch points it's are- a big area. Yeah, like one, one entry every couple of days up to more than a dozen entries mm-hmm. every day. Depending on which site you're going, it's like any park, I guess. Yeah. Like they have to limit who can go where because, yeah, like Algonquin Park, you 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 go to any one lake and there's ten sites, only ten people can book. Mm-hmm. They used to only book nine and leave one free just in case, but they don't do that anymore, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So make your plans, make them proper, make them thorough. Mm-hmm. Go check it out, get your permits, and be ready to have fun next year. In the Boundary Waters, <laughs> I saw something today. It was. Uh, 
I saw a posting today. They've announced when the Canadian uh, Canoe Museum is going to open. So the grand opening weekend is May 11th. Is it really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. May 11th. It's a, There's it's, so much happening May 11th. A, that's the Mother's Day weekend. Oh. B, we have a few birthdays we celebrate on that weekend. Oh, yeah. C, uh, Social Distortion and Bad Religion are playing in Detroit, so a few friends are heading down that way and asked if I wanted to go. <laughs> uh, D, <laughs> the Canoe Museum apparently is opening. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. May 11th is a special day this year. Yeah. You got your options. Yeah. Well, they say the May 11th weekend, so it'll be a weekend of events. The 11th and 12th. Yeah. 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 So that's pretty cool. That's they've, they've announced it. I just went on their webpage now. That's why I was distracted there when I saw you looking over at me. But, uh, I thought you were distracted because it was like Tuesday. No, I, I something <laughs> something in the Boundary Waters. I think it was the the B W C A W. It's like oh, oh, oh canoe museum. So it's something tweaked in my brain because I saw it today on Facebook. They announced it. Oh, okay. Grand opening, May the 11th, grand opening of the brand spanking new one. Yeah, they've been they've been getting everything over there too. Yes, like they, they're showing photos on their their social media. Yeah, of the big I halls saw, filled with boats. I saw the first canoe they said they acquired. It was hand carved, but when you look at it, it looks like it's made from plyboard or plywood. Yep. But it's actually hand carved by these two brothers, and they made a few canoes like that. And it's like that's really cool, mm-hmm. very neat. They, but it just has gunnels and everything on it. It's, it's a really neat canoe. So yeah, they've been they've been you know doing spotlights on different canoes in in yep. their in their in their whatever countdown to opening. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Very cool. So May eleventh, everybody. May. I mentioned it now because I was going to ma- mention it at the end, and I thought, oh, I'm going to forget by the end. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, announce it on next week's show because I forgot yeah. this week. And nobody listens to the podcast at the end anyway, so I should mention it now. Oh, well, my mom does. <laughs> does she? <laughs> so she tells me. <laughs> but she's never proven it. Yes, I know, right? <laughs> if you made it this far, here's the secret word of the day. The secret word of the day is, <laughs> hi, mom. <laughs> um... We've talked about removal of dams. Yes. And what they do for the environment and um, the paddling industry and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, people that have lived, indigenous groups and stuff that have lived on the the shores over the, you know, thousands of years sort of thing. So about a week before the removal of the Great Works Dam on the Penobscot River in Old Town, Maine. It was back in 2012. 12 or, yeah, 2012, yeah. Uh, Dan Kuzniers dragged his sons to the riverside to take their picture in front of the aging structure, which would be good for yeah. old times' sake. Look at that. They're going to take this down, boys. Yeah. It's time you see it. Uh, he says they didn't realize what it was about. So, yeah, in, t- in 2012, he takes his kids there. They, they're they just being goofy. They don't realize yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the importance of what's happening. Uh, it's New England's, or was New England's second largest dam, and its removal would transform the river. For nearly two centuries, the Penobscot had been choked with logs and pulp as the timber and pulp uh, paper industries used it as a lumber byway and waste receptacle. From just 1830 to 1880, more than 8 billion feet of lumber floated down the river. Imagine how busy that river was. That'd be like the major highway of logs. 
Well, that's exactly. It's crazy. I mean, you, you, you remember all the guys um, doing the, the polling and everything in yep. Maine, right? Yeah. To power all this industry, dams were erected 119 in the Penobscot River Basin alone. That's amazing. 119 dams. Yeah. Oi. I mean, you think about it. You think, oh, yeah, there's a couple of dams around. Maybe a dozen or yeah. so, right? <laughs> and then, no, 119. Yeah. Uh, Dan was a member of the unprecedented coalition of scientists, indigenous people, and conservationists working to remove dams in order to free the Penobscot River and hopefully restore its health in the process. And that's the one thing is when all the, the let's start getting the, our ducks in a row to get these dams removed, what do we need to do to get them removed? No one really knew what was going to happen to yeah, the river. exactly. Right? Was it just going to die out was it gonna go back to what it was was it gonna flourish again or was it too late was it dead sort of thing well it with that many dams and and that much all these there's a lot of headwater behind each dam right mm-hmm. and just they say that that's one of the worst sources of greenhouse gases is all that rotting vegetation as the you create this dam this headwater and all the trees and everything dies behind it and yeah like it's not a really good good place for like you know survival of fish species and so on so when we did way 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 back one of our very 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 early episodes i think like in the double digit episodes uh we talked to the well i i went down to new york state and talked to the scarlet brothers oh yes um and they had been through Algonquin Park before it was what it is today like there's there's campsites they made that are on the canoe room maps today, yeah. right? And they were saying, like, they were camping and saw Sputnik go over for the first I time. I remember that conversation, right? yes. Yeah. And they were by Renfrew, Ontario, and they were camping one night. Now that camping area where they were is totally underwater because of dams. Oh, okay. So, like, it, where they camped, like, 60 years ago or yeah. whatever, no longer there. It's huh. under 30 feet of water or whatever. Yeah. Right, so the same thing here. You get 119 dams. Mm-hmm. It There's changes a lot. Gone. It changes your environment. Yeah. Uh, the, r- the river had been sick for generations. Butch Phillips, a Penobscot Nation elder, recalls growing up on Indian Island in the 50s. By that time, the Penobscot was unrecognizable to the body of water it had once been, with drifting logs so gridlocked at times on the eastern side of the island. That the river was impassable for boats and people alike. This posed an ongoing dilemma for the Penobscot people who, prior to the construction of the bridge in 1950, used canoes to travel to and from the mainland. Despite the discharge coming from the mills, the river was still central to the Penobscot nation's everyday life. The river was our playground, Philip says. We were either canoeing on it, fishing, swimming in it, and in the winter times, we were skating on it, but the relationship had been affected. Living so closely with a body of water like the Penobscot for so many generations, uh, you develop a river culture. We are river people, we're canoe people, and when you take that element away, the river and the use of the river, then you take away the culture as well. That's true. So, right? I mean, and that's what I'm saying. Like, not only are you killing the environment, Mm-hmm. And everything else, you're c- killing the, the 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 indigenous culture. Yep. You know, and I mean, for we, people like us, we're we're a paddle culture. Yes. You know, 
um, that's that would be all gone if if it was as huge. Well, it's their hunting grounds, their fishing yep. grounds. Their you know they they live on the water. They it was their source of drinking water exactly, and everything, right? right? Yeah. One of the worst blows to the river, though, was to its 12 species of sea-run fish. The Great Works, uh, VZ, and Howland Dams, all built in the 19th century, severed access to the river's headwaters, which fish used as spawning ground. When the dams were erected, the effects on fish population were almost immediate. By the 1850s, salmon no longer inhabited most of the rivers in southern Maine, and their populations continued to decline so dramatically that in 1889, the U.S. government opened the Craig uh, Craig Brook National Fish Hatchery in Orland, Maine, to support the besieged fish. For the next 50 years, it was a primary source of salmon eggs for the region. In 1889, they recognized the damage that was being done, and they had to yep. create a fish hatchery. Yep, and it was over a hundred years mm-hmm. till they finally get rid of the dam. That's crazy. And so the this is like 200 years of using and abusing that river mm-hmm. for the logging industry yep. mainly. Yep, and hydroelectric. Yeah, uh, salmon numbers continued to decline. By 1948, the final year of the commercial fishing industry for wild Atlantic salmon, only 40 were reported caught in the Penobscot (laughs) watershed. So you went from thousands and thousands to 40. 40 fish. These were the stakes when the dam's licenses were up for renewal in 1998. The leaders of the Penobscot Nation saw an opportunity to make a significant change to the status quo. The tribe's plan was to purchase the dams and then destroy them. Good plan. Yeah. So they joined with the Atlantic Salmon Federation to open a dialogue with the dam owner, a company called PPL Maine. can't remember what PPL is. Something power and something. Power Producers Limited Maine. Uh, something like that. Blah, yeah, blah, to blah. buy the dams. Yeah. The cohort gathered more participants, the American Rivers, Natural Resources Council of Maine, and Trout Unlimited, and formed an alliance called the Penobscot River Restoration Trust. For his part, Phillips uh, discovered there were was a dearth of knowledge community-wide when it came to the tribe's relationship with the river. My ancestors have been on this river for literally thousands of years, he notes, and that connection goes really deep because... Through those many, many generations, the people depended on the river and their surrounding land for their everyday living. Their food, their shelter, their weapons, their transportation, clothing, everything came from the river and the land. Project was unprecedented in its ambition and its success. The trust ultimately raised $60 million to purchase the VZ Great Works and Howland Dams in 2008. You figure it'd be worth more than that. Mm. To purchase the dams? So yeah. these are dams that were being purchased solely for the property rights and not mm-hmm. so much for their value, inherent value as a hydroelectric dam. Because they're going to be torn down. So you're. But you think still it would be worth more? They're at their li- end of licensed life, right? Mm-hmm. And they could put millions into it to renovate them, retrofit them, or sell them off cheap. Right? Well, like I say, they're, they're, the time came up for their new licenses. Yeah. So I wonder if they were maybe not going to get the licenses. 
and just said, forget it. We'll just yeah. get rid of them. Anyway, uh, in 2012, the Great Works Dam was the first to go, followed by the VZ in 2013. The trust was unable to convince the community of Howland to remove its dam. And so a compromise was reached in which a fish bypass was added to the dam to allow an open route for returning fish. As a result, nearly 2,000 miles of habitat was opened for salmon and other species. Nice. That's huge. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a... I mean, we look at the salmon run here up Duffins Creek and stuff yeah. like that, and you're only talking like maybe 30 miles. Yeah. Like, now you got 2,000? 2,000, yeah. Yeah, that's that's huge. In the nine years it took to come to agreement with PPL, which included generating more power at alternate dams so they wouldn't be a decrease in hydroelectricity, scientists were able to seize the opportunity to really study the river and what happens to one before and after a dam removal. Mm -hmm. So this was the key thing about this is, well, we know what it looks like now. Yep. What happens when we take all this out? Exactly. Is it going to make it worse? Is it going to get better? No one knows. How fast will it recover? What kind of recovery are they looking at? Mm -hmm. When you dam a river, it's like flooding a house. Water pools and settles, as does sediment. And what you get is is a warm, still environment, nothing like the lively textured existence of a flowing river. But when you remove a dam, the river's rebound is robust and swift. In 2018, just six years after the removal of the first dam, more than two million river herring were counted passing through a local fish lift, in addition to 772 salmon. When we do on-the-ground restoration actions with the with these fish, they respond immediately, says Payne Wynn. It's fascinating. And it's unique in the restoration world because of the other spheres of restoration. It can take decades to see any real response to the actual immediate restoration activity. The degree of the project's success and the river's surprising return has bolstered hope that future efforts like it will only continue to improve the outlook for Atlantic salmon and other fish species. Now, one of the fish species, I think it's alewife? Uh, yes. Is that, is that how it's? Uh, apparently, it is a um, big food for river otters, eagles, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. ospreys. Yeah. So that all gone, it affects the they whole all eat, food chain. The right? food chain affects everything. So when those all come back, then you start getting the eagles, the ospreys, yeah. the otters, and stuff back, right? Degree of the projects. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, through through the trust. Or so, though the trust has since dissolved, work continues to remove dams further upstream along the Penobscot's many tributaries, which would open up more cold water spawning habitat to all sea-run fish. But as nearly 15-year effort of the trust demonstrates, dam removals are arduous, persisting battles. A win is not to be taken for granted. Mm-hmm. In contrast to the river herring, the salmon population's recovery has been more modest, with around 1,500 returning to the Penobscot this year, um, the most since 2011, but still just a slight 10-year increase. It's a really hostile environment for Atlantic salmon in the North Atlantic right now, says Rory Saunders, NOAA Fisheries Down East Coastal Salmon Recovery Coordinator. 
Good it's lord. A big name. Fit that on a business card, would you? <laughs> business card's three feet long. <laughs> the Penobscot run in particular is almost entirely dependent on the hatchery at this point. At the hatchery this fall, 250 mature females prepared to spawn. Once the females spawned, the eggs would be fertilized, fertilized and incubated, and eventually some would be placed in man-made salmon nets, reds, tiny depressions made in the sand through a hole drilled in the ice. This is the ritual of saving the last wild Atlantic salmon on the planet. Mm-hmm. Penobscot Project is a tremendous first step, but it's not a silver bullet. We need to continue to think about upstream habitat, acknowledges Sam Saunders. There are hopes to remove more dams which would allow access to more good cold water for the salmon, but this could take years. I mean, it's, it's not a, a fast process. Yeah, it took it took 200 years to get where we are now. It's not going to turn around overnight. Yeah. There's much to celebrate, though. We went from 2,000 animals to 5 million animals in the span of 12 years, says Saunders. The return of the salmon holds significance to the Penobscot Nation as well. It's not just the fish, explains Kuzniris. It's restoring the huge part of the culture of the tribe. And yeah, I mean, this is exactly so they get back into being a canoe people. Yes. They get yep. back into living on the water, exactly. hunting, fishing, everything from the land, right? In the tradition of the Penobscot Nation, Phillips has collaborated on the construction of two different birch bark canoes and in one instance took the boat up the Penobscot towards Mount Katadyne towards the headwaters. Phillips, along with other community members, including one of his sons, was retracing the path of generations before him up the river and towards the mountain, which never seemed to disappear from view despite the constant bend and curve in the water's trajectory. I'm just so happy that I lived long enough to see at least a portion of our river free-flowing so that the sea-run fish can ascend the river and go to their ancestral spawning grounds as they did before the dams went up, says Phillips, as my ancestors witnessed. It's coming, it, it, it's, it's, there's so much to restore. It's the, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the culture of the area, the, the local tribes and natives, the, the, the fish species, and... We saw, what, the Klamath Dam yep. removal on the West Coast. So we're starting to see more and more where they're starting to recover these uh, these old rivers and, and restore the flows. And, and I, I, you know, in Ontario and Quebec, it's harder and harder to dam up rivers these days, right? There's yeah. a lot more environmental protections. So it's it's good to see that we're getting some of these rivers back. Well, and when you're looking at this and they're talking 2000 miles of open That's river, a long stretch. I mean, from our perspective, look at all the the tripping possibilities, all yes. the paddling possibilities. Yeah. You got 2000 kilometers worth of open well, water now. It's interesting now because these these routes would never really have been paddled because it was not in two hundred years. Exactly right? right. So these things, this river has been in whatever state for over two hundred years. I wonder what it's going to be like as more and more of these dams are removed. Well, you got to think the original portages and stuff that the natives would use are gone. Yeah, they would have been overgrown. You know. Yeah, but you never know. Maybe you can because uh, there's a few people that do the lost portages. Yeah. 
right? And it's not just that. Usually these portages, they follow known known features, right? So yep. splits between mountains and so on. It's like a natural, oh, this is where a portage should Some be. Some games trails yeah. and stuff so like that. So maybe they'll naturally come back. Some of these portages will be restored naturally because that's the where people are being funneled through. Right? Good mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. It's good. And yeah, and just to see, like I say, this is becoming a thing now we're getting more and more. Yeah. Awesome. Um, do you remember a few episodes? Yeah, a few episodes back. We talked about the guy that was caught by the cops loading a whole bunch of drugs yes, into his yes, kayak. Yes, yes, yes. Is that, I want to say that was Burlington, Lake Burlingtoners, or no, going into Burlington, Vermont. So uh, it's a lake that travels across the border into Quebec. Yeah. A long, long lake. Yeah. Uh, so there was that. So we're figuring this must be a thing now, <laughs> right? So police searching a home in Vermont for a pair of stolen kayaks and numerous tools also found an array of illegal drugs, including fentanyl. According to police, an investigation into the theft of two whitewater kayaks some chainsaws, tree climbing gear, and a winch, <laughs> which is an odd combination. It is. It is. <laughs> you you kind of wonder how do these things get tied together. Yeah, I think that people are just stealing stuff. To I think so. Sake for crime of opportunities, selling, getting some cash or something. But okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the Dwight Water kayaks, grab <laughs> ourselves a couple of chainsaws and some tree climbing gear. Okay, <laughs> just listen to me. Go, go with this here. <laughs> Police were granted a search warrant for a home. During the search, police found one of the kayaks and some of the other items, along with crack cocaine and numerous items used in drug distribution, such as little baggies and a digital scale, and conducted a more thorough search of the property with a judge's permission. That's when they found roughly 100 bags filled with suspected fentanyl, another 10 grams of purple fentanyl, 12 to 15 grams of white powder in a bag, also suspected to be fentanyl, along with 25 grams of suspected cocaine. Wow, we call that Tuesday at my house. (laughs) (laughs) Five people were located at the home. Two of them were arrested on the spot, although the sheriff's department expects to make more arrests later. There you go. Police are still looking for the second stolen kayak. (laughs) So, if you have any information on a second stolen kayak, check it for drugs first. (laughs) Exactly. And chainsaws (laughs) and tree climbing gear. Because before you call the the witness hotline or what do they call it? Where you call up anonymous. Oh, Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers, yeah. yeah. Before you call, talk to the guy that stole it. Okay, dude. What's the deal? <laughs> planning on doing here? People want to know. People want to know. Uh, totally not paddling related, but I found this interesting when my alarm went off there the other morning, and this was on the news. In the heart of downtown Halifax, Nova Scotia, a remarkable feat has been achieved with a successful relocation of a historic structure. The Elmwood Building, a former hotel weighing a staggering 220 tons was seamlessly maneuvered 30 feet across a steel frame using an unconventional tool. 700 bars of ivory soap. That's hilarious. <laughs> I just listened to that with my eyes. Not I'm just waking up and my eyes are like half open and I'm just like, what? <laughs> 
The traditionally accepted method of moving such massive structures involves the use of rollers. In this case, however, the team adapted to a radically different approach, opting for an item commonly found in the bathroom of every household. The bars of soap, known for their smooth and slippery <laughs> characteristics, were utilized to facilitate the gliding of the building across the steel frame. The operation was ex- executed, uh, executed flawlessly with the assistance of two excavators and a tow truck. That's hilarious. Elmwood Buildings Move is a testament to the innovative approaches adopted to preserve historical structures amidst an ever-evolving urban landscape. Its successful relocation underscores the importance of heritage conservation and the imaginative solutions that can be employed to ensure such edifices continue to be integral parts of our community's fabric. While the Elmwood Building has been successfully moved, the journey is not over. The structure of uh, is slated to be moved again soon, once its new foundation is completed. The use of the soap bars in this relocation process sets a precedence for future such operations, opening a world of possibilities in the field of heritage conservation. Save a building. So imagine how the conversation started. Yeah, we got to figure out how to get this building across the street. Okay, okay. Well, so yeah. work with me here. Just so listen. So listen. So listen. For a second. Just let me say this. So let me. Don't interrupt. Just let me finish my just, little sentence. Just go with me on this. So we get seven hundred bars of soap. Okay. No, no, no. Just listen. Hundreds of bars of soap. You want what? Yeah. Somebody take that tequila away from him. No, wait. Uh, I hope whoever did it, number one, gets like sponsorship from Ivory Soap. <laughs> <laughs> number two, like copyrights the 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 um, method. <laughs> yeah, like like the the, the McDonald's soap method. Yeah, something like that of moving houses. <laughs> yeah, my great great grandpappy. Yeah, he came up with the McDonald's soap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's our family claim to fame. <laughs> Uh, seven. Who? Where do you get seven hundred bars of soap? Like you're you're emptying out multiple Costco's. Like that <laughs> entire town of Halifax now, no soap to be found. <laughs> There's no. They're a bunch of stinky buggers now. <laughs> Whole town of stinky people because no, nary a stick of soap to be found. I I, I did a I did a Newfoundland tour, you know, what, thirteen years ago or so. We uh, rolled up and down the uh, the western coast of Newfoundland, and there's a couple of abandoned villages up there, and uh, and you can see signage about how so they they declared this village was no longer a village. Everybody, you're not you're, we're not going to give you electricity or services anymore. This town is gone. Mm-hmm. So people are like, well, I'm keeping my house. So they would they would shore up the base of the building, and slide it on logs into the ocean and they usually floated about the first floor would be underwater some of them they put on like floats or logs or whatever but i saw so many pictures of houses that are partially submerged floating across the harbor so they could get it up onto another ramp somewhere else in another town down the coast and they just relocate the houses and they just you know, you take out the the, the old, you know, the, the lath work and you know, whatever the anything damaged, and and there you go. Your house is it's now in your new town. You just float it on the ocean. Wow! And it's just a bunch of people. It's like, yeah, 
Get, 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 now, the, get the brothers together, bye. <laughs> if they would have used soap, <laughs> just think of all the suds. I know, You right? see this house floating down the river <laughs> or across the bay in his big yeah. thing of bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> Take the tequila away from me. He's house with some bubbles. Yes. Get the nippy screech away from that man. Oh, good time. So, as I said earlier, I went down a couple of rabbit holes this week. Um, This being one of them, I spent way too much time on this, but I've I've narrowed it down to to a few things. So we always joke about going to Australia and everything there is trying to kill you and sharks and gators and tarantulas. Yeah. And we talked about our our kangaroo thingy here in Oshawa. Uh, You know, their, their kangaroos over there will like stab you. (laughs) <laughs> That's what the pouch is for. It's where they carry the weapons. <laughs> yes. They got like guns in there and knives. <laughs> Boomerangs. I don't want to get too far off track, but there's Anyway. There's there's a there's a Chinese movie that came out in twenty twenty two, I believe. And it's about uh this they abandoned the moon base. It was a Chinese moon base and and uh there's one guy he got left behind and he discovers that the base kangaroo also got left behind, so him and the kangaroo get together and they uh apparently the kangaroo is very smart. <laughs> so speaking of kangaroos, there's a and it, apparently it's a really good storyline. I'm gonna have to watch it. <laughs> Kangaroos on the moon? Kangaroos in space. <laughs> I, how did I miss that one at the theater? <laughs> I'll have to send you the synopsis from YouTube. It's hilarious. It is, it's actually, it, it. from watching the synopsis, it's, oh, yeah, I want to watch this movie. <laughs> see, see if we can get it and rent one of the theaters. People are going to come in. What are they watching in there? Does this got surround sound? Can we do 3D? Can we get the big IMAX? Yep, yep. The, the <laughs> anyway, speaking of Australia, <laughs> which we were 10 minutes ago, um, for people who like to paddle in areas that are frequented by sharks... There are shark deterrents aimed specifically at paddlers. Okie dokie. So that's before I go to Australia someday, I'm going <laughs> to check one of these bad boys out, take it yeah. with me because I'll go over there and do some paddling and yeah. hopefully not. Because I'll be the guy that he <laughs> joked about it for years, <laughs> thought it was funny. Now he's got one arm. Yeah, he's missing an arm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He call him, call him lefty. <laughs> Start Smart Shark Mate Inflatable Stand-Up Paddleboard. The makers of the Shark Mate uh, 10-foot, 6-inch stand-up paddleboard utilized what they call a shark deterrent black and white banding pattern on the bottom of the board in hopes of... Hopes. Lowering the risk of... Accidental shark bites in the water. Bite you accidentally? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I bite you? (laughs) My bad. (laughs) That that's on me, friend. (laughs) I was just looking for dinner. (laughs) Sorry about that. I like that. In hopes of an accidental shark. Is there such a thing? Well, technically, the shark didn't mean to eat a person or stand a paddleboard. They're looking for a seal. Oh, it was looking to bite. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, was biting because sharks, by nature, yeah. are bitey. Yeah, they're very bitey. They're very bitey. <laughs> 
Dr. Nathan S. Hart, the head of Department of Biological Sciences at uh, Macquarie University in Australia and a world leader in comparative sensory biology research, explains that the use of black and white bands as a shark deterrent is based on anecdotal reports. Anecdotal reports? Of some sharks, mostly reef sharks, avoiding banded sea snakes, as well as observations of the commensal relationship that is seen between tropical and reef sharks and striped pilot fish. While this hypothesis seems reasonable on the surface, Dr. Hart states that the jury is still out on whether or not a banding pattern would make any difference. Sounds like somebody discovered over a couple beer at the pub. It's like, hey, I... Right? Right? (laughs) Okay, so what if the shark accidentally goes to bite you? (laughs) Uh, Its use has not undergone any type of rigorous scientific (laughs) testing, (laughs) which would lead credence to your theory of a bar that would allow anyone to say with certainty that a black and white banding pattern would statistically lower your chances of being bitten or approached by a shark. Dr. Hart also mentioned that tiger sharks are known to eat sea snakes, so there's a possibility that a banding pattern <laughs> could be attractive. <laughs> Wait okay. a sec. Well, we got good news, bad news. Good news, great whites aren't coming near you. Bad news, reef sharks might. Because <laughs> they're going to love your board. So the start smart shark mate inflatable stand-up paddle board, I'm going to give that one a pass. Yes, yes. Yeah, no thank you. Thank you, but no thank you. <laughs> it's a bit hokey. The next one is just okay. Shark eyes. <laughs> Sharks are ambush predators. Now, see, <clears throat> I can, I'll, and you'll see why later down, later on. But I can see why this one might work. It does. It's it's okay. and it's natural in nature. The the eyeballs on yeah. on butterflies and so on. Right. Sharks are ambush predators, relying heavily on the element of surprise to capture prey. Sharks employ predatory tactics which involve a risk assessment before attacking its prey. Sorry, if there is a risk assessment, there wouldn't be any accidental bites. <laughs> Shark Eyes aims to alter the shark's initial risk assessment, thereby alerting its strike behavior to an abort behavior. Shark Eyes is unlike any of the shark's natural prey and is designed to mimic that of the human eye. Hours of research has gone into designing a set of eyes that we know sharks can see. Science is unsure as to whether or not sharks can see color, although many scientists believe they can, and they do know they can see contrast. Shark eyes achieves depth of field through contrast. Mm -hmm. When the element of surprise is gone, sharks often abandon their attack. Shark Eyes is designed to mimic human eye contact, making the shark feel like it has been spotted, taking away their element of surprise. This is the potential to change the behavior of the shark and prevent an attack. Shark Eyes is simply copying what nature is already doing. Mimicry. Eye spots are specifically proven as a successful defense mechanism seen often in nature. Land and water animals are known to adapt to mimic large false eyes, mostly on their ears to fend off predators. Mimicry has been seen in birds, butterflies, moths, cats, caterpillars, fish, and more. So basically what these shark eyes are is a sticker of two giant eyeballs. Yeah. 
Because when the shark comes up and goes, whoa! <laughs> Look at her enemy. <laughs> shark had a mild heart attack there in scoots. <laughs> Humans successfully used mimicry as a line of defense in India. Face masks were applied to the back of local heads to protect them from tigers, oh. and it reduced the amount of attacks. Hmm. Therefore, sticking these big eyeballs mm-hmm. on the bottom of your stand-up paddleboard or on your paddleboard paddle or on the bottom of your kayak, yeah. right? The mega eye is for use on large watercraft. It suits wide stand-up paddleboards and kayaks. Also great for use on a stand-up paddle board or kayak paddle. Each Mega Eye Shark Repellent sticker dimension is 11 inches wide and 5.5 inches high. That's one eye. Yeah. The eyes can be purchased separately, but we recommend two eyes on all watercraft to make it as lifelike and realistic as possible. There's only one eye there. I don't think that's a real person (laughs) up there. Or if it is a person, somebody ate one eye and spit them out. (laughs) The mega eye has a left and right variation, each sold separately. Of course. You make sure you don't order two right eyes. Yes, exactly. Oh, I ordered two lefts. Damn it. (laughs) Now what am I going to do? Have you you ever seen, you probably have, um, Doctor Who episodes with the stone angels? Yep. Yeah, the weeping angels. So, the ones are, if you don't look at them, they come at you. Yep. Yeah, the weeping and angels. So that's what this sort of yeah. reminds me of. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, some shark's going to come up. It's going to investigate. And all of a sudden, it sees this pair of eyes looking, He's looking at, at me. Him. He wouldn't leave because he thinks that someone's staring. He's going to leave because it's creepy. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's just creeping him out. <laughs> <laughs> this one here, okay, I could, I would definitely choose this one over... Over the lines. Over the lines. Which could be attractive or repellent. Right. We just don't Depending know. On, how do you want to die? Great white or reef shark? It's your <laughs> yes. choice. It's a toss-up. But yeah, big mega eyes. And then you're, so then you're going everywhere with your kayak and your, or your stand-up paddleboard yeah. with these giant eyes stuck to it everywhere you go. <laughs> Freaking people out as you drive by and that's on your roof. It's like, whoa. Dude, what's, what's wrong with you? Uh, sharks. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. And the third one, which I am full on, this is the one I'll be getting. Yeah. The shark shield. Sharks have short range electrical receptors in their snout used for finding food. Ocean Guardian's shark shield technology has been developed to specifically take advantage of these highly sensitive receptors, creating a powerful three-dimensional electrical field which causes spasms turning the sharks away, including great whites. As fish are without these receptors, shark shield technology is negligible effect on them. Hmm. Shark shield technology consists of two electrodes, which when both are submerged, emit a three-dimensional electrical field surrounding the user or area. When a shark comes within a few meters, the field causes the shark to experience muscle spasms. This does not harm the shark in any way, merely producing a high level of discomfort. Shark shield technology is the world's most scientifically proven and independently tested electrical shark deterrent. Since 2001, the company's shark shield technology has protected tens of thousands of ocean users and prevented the unnecessary killing of marine life by environmentally destructive shark nets, drum lines, and culls. 
Independently proven and tested, Ocean Guardian's Shark Shield technology is backed by multiple peer-reviewed published research papers, successful in deterring great whites. The technology is so powerful that government has approved devices for consumer rebates. There you go. Uh, they're, they're the newest ones, they've got this big, basically it's like a wall for swimming area. You know how you have the oh, buoys to yeah, mark your yeah, swimming yeah, areas? Yeah. So but they just, got big ones yeah. that'll go around a whole swimming area. Yeah. 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 But they're showing these things on people's ankles. You wear them? Yeah. Huh. So if it's on your ankle and your feet's dangling over, so it's got to be submerged. Yeah. To shoot these little thingies out. Is that what happens if it's you? what happens? No, no, no. What happens if your batteries die and you don't know it? Yes. <laughs> well, then all of a sudden that foot dangling over yeah. is doing the exact opposite yeah, of yeah, what yeah. what you're hoping. <laughs> 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 but something like this sounds more. It sounds more realistic yeah. and scientific, and yeah. and less hokey. It's more money too, <laughs> but you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, no, I I gotta think there's some way to stick this on the bottom of your boat or your stand up paddle yep. board, or, absolutely, or something like that. Surfboard, you know, it's it's, it's a big thing for kayak fishermen mm-hmm. and stuff like that, right? So go with the shark ship. There's another one. Shark bands, I think it's called. And they're talking like magnetic electrical pulses. Oh, yeah. and So like farm fencing to keep horses and cows in. Right? Like Yeah, like electric fence. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it just gives off these little three-dimensional electric waves yep. going bzz, bzz, yep. bzz, 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 pulses. And in this going. case, you want to pee on the electric fence. Right? <laughs> Is that a Ren and Stippy? So- that's from Ren and Stippy. Yes, pee on the electric fence game. Don't yeah. pee on the electric fence. It's log, log. <laughs> Everyone wants a log. <laughs> yeah, we grew up in a great era. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if you're l- looking to head somewhere where there's lots of sharks, where you're going to be paddling, if you want to give the the, shark the, shield the, stuff. the smart start smart shark mate inflatable stand-up paddleboard with the stripes on it to go and let us know. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Lefty. And we'd like to know if it's an attractant or a, or <laughs> a, a repellent. A repellent. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get the shark eyes, at that point, I'm just going to go into work and print some off. Yeah, I know, stick right? Stick them, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know what? Um, for us who have never, ever paddled in shark-infested waters, <laughs> yeah, we're, we'd go with the shark shield and yeah. take our chances or just not go in the water or just not go at all <laughs> uh if you just to keep on the shark thingy here if you at home have a cat or a dog then you've you've heard about the cheese tax i had i've had i had to ask you when i saw this i, like, I can't believe you, you never know about? what the cheese tax I, was we don't feed cheese to our cats if we have any type of container with cheese and like if you cut open it, you know, you get the big bricks of cheese. Yep, yep. The minute you start opening that, I've got <laughs> two cats and a dog <laughs> staring me down. It's what like are you a doing? What are you shakedown. Doing? What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> so there's a cheese tax. You yes. gotta pay the cheese tax. You give them some cheese and they hit the bricks, hopefully. <laughs> big game ocean kayak fishermen are being heavily Taxed every day, losing whole fish or a chunk of their fish to the ocean's ultimate tax man, the shark. Uh, 
Nobody knows sharks better, shark attacks better than kayak fishing show host Jim Sammons, who has now partnered with Ocean Guardian to oh. stop the shark tax. Right? The yeah. shark shield. Jim's had many close calls with shark tax, like the shark that tore a fish from his hands during filming one of the shows in New Zealand. I don't have a particularly fear of sharks, but I certainly had my share of close encounters. I never had a fear of sharks till one ripped my arm off either. <laughs> <laughs> Shark Shield will help ensure my catch remains my catch and will certainly give me more peace of mind while my feet are dangling in the water. <laughs> what are your feet doing in the water when you're in the sharks around? What are you thinking? Yes, yeah, dumpy. <laughs> As more and more yak fishers take to the oceans, shark tax is becoming an ever-increasing burden. Back in April, a Hawaiian local had a close call with the tax man when a tiger shark jumped out of the water, stealing his catch. Video of his close encounter with the men, with the men in gray suits has had over 10 million views. I believe we posted that video, too. Oh, yeah? Remember the guy? The, oh, the, uh, way out. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right out there. Yeah. We've noticed a change in shark behavior over the last few years in that sharks are learning to approach anglers after they hook a fish and then steal those fish for an easy feed. This is what we refer to as the shark tax, says Amanda Wilson, managing director at Ocean Guardian. Our unique technology is a perfect fit for ocean kayak fishing, allowing yak fishers to explore the ocean with peace of mind and unwanted shark encounters and avoid that pesky shark tax. (laughs) (laughs) You're having sharks jump up and rip fish out of your hands. You got your feet dangling. I've seen asking for it. I've seen a lot of these videos lately. So... I think the sharks, well, how appealing is that? You have a fish that can't really get away from the shark now. Yeah. Because the fish is being pulled in one direction towards the boat. Right. Right. So it's like the shark just goes, oh, I'll just bite him in half. Like I've seen quite a few videos where they, the fishermen pull a fish. Half a fish. Half a fish out yeah. of the water. It's like, whoa, wait a sec. Um, but then there's other ones. That, and there there is one going around now where uh, a kayak fisherman was reeling something in. And I guess a shark was following it at great speed and just hammered the guy's kayak. Oh, knocking oh yeah, him yeah, into yeah. The boat, into I saw the water that. Too. I saw that, yeah. Hopefully he's wearing That's his scary. shark shield. <laughs> Some sort of stripes and black and white patterns. Black and white pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? My swim trunks yeah. are black and white stripes. <laughs> Didn't MC Hammer have a pair of black, white striped uh, MC Hammer pants? Parachute pants? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> But I got to get a new bathing suit if I go ever go to Australia. With big googly eyes on With it. With big googly eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, black and white stripes, big googly eyes. <laughs> and a battery pack. And a battery pack. Battery Cover pack. all my bases. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just taking a taser. <laughs> he comes near me, I'm just putting it underwater and pressing the button. We're all getting fried. I don't care. If I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. Oh, uh, so when I was going through this, all the shark thingy, I took a bit of a left turn. You know how down in the state, I don't know if it really happens up here in Canada, but down in the States, yeah, it's you, common. yeah, you, you declare your, um, 
you 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 commit to a stu- a school. Yes. So if you're a football player, I'm going to commit to Old Miss or yeah. something like that. If you're uh, play baseball, you know, yep, I'm leaving. I'm go- I'm going to go to this college to yeah. play baseball for them or football, track, oh, and th- that sort of deal. Yeah. You're committing to being part of their sports program yep. for a period of two to three years, like whether it's golf or football or basketball. You get or, your education yeah. while playing for them, right? Yeah. Or, yeah, you hopefully get your education, then you move on to NFL, NHL, Mm -hmm. whatever. Or whatever you studied. Or whatever, yeah. If you're not good enough. So, Taunton High School in Taunton, Massachusetts has seen its fair share of student athletes commit to play sports collegiately the past few years, particularly for softball, baseball, football, track and field. However, the school hasn't produced a kayak bass fisher. (laughs) That is until Bobby Tran put pen to paper last Wednesday, officially committing his academic and athletic future to Campbellsville University. That's hilarious. I'm super excited, Tran said, about heading to Kentucky Bay School. Both the Tigers' bass fishing and kayak bass fishing teams compete in tournaments put on by the Bass Anglers Sportsman Society. Bass. How is this a thing? <laughs> Where was this when I was in high school? And so they actually have a team. So he's the first yeah. one with a. So, but they have a team. So are the are these other guys also being paid to go to that school? I don't know. They're being paid. They're being maybe given like a scholarship to, yeah. to, to the school, right? Free education as yeah. long as you participate on our team. But is this guy just getting a scholarship as well, or is yeah, he, yeah? Well, Trent has competed as a member of the Taunton wrestling team over the past few years. Fishing has been his lifelong love, aided by ample local opportunities. There's lots of great places around here to fish, and down the Cape, Trent says, Massachusetts is a great place to fish. A few years back, Tran <clears throat> took an interest in Collegiate Bass Fishing Championship, an annual tournament put on by the Association of Collegiate Anglers (BACA). The organization puts on several national tournaments every spring, as does Bass around the ninth grade. Tran began competing in fishing tournaments himself and soon began looking at colleges that offered fishing teams. How is that a thing? (laughs) Name any one school in all of Canada that offers fishing. Is he getting a full ride? Like, is he getting... I don't know. It really doesn't say it, but it sounds like he is. Hmm. Um... He came across Campbell, Campbellsville University first and quickly took an interest in the school, speaking with former coach Dalton Smith, who told him the school's kayak fishing, bass, kayak bass fishing team, which is launched in the, for the 2021-22 school year. He also received interest from Carson Newman University in Tennessee. Who's scouting kayak <laughs> fishermen? What, what do you do? Go sit on the dock and, and like with a pair of binoculars and watch them catch fish? Like a stalker? How does this happen? Because, I mean, yeah, okay, such and such is playing in a football game this weekend. We're going to send our scouts out to sit in the stands and watch him play football. He's not, like, the first. He's just one in a number of people Mm -hmm. who are getting these By the sounds of it. Yeah. For Taunton wrestling coach Addison Galvo, he couldn't be prouder than to see Tran head to compete compete at the collegiate level. Bobby's self-motivation and his love for fishing helped create an opportunity that he is seized upon by going to college as a kayak fishing athlete. 
just, I was just thinking like March Madness for basketball and stuff. <laughs> There's going to be like a, a spring, like a May a, Madness. A June Madness. Yeah. <laughs> All bass fishermen. You know what? I mean, we, we're joking about this, but I mean, congratulations to the guy for, for doing this. Yeah, but yeah. it's weird. Just weird. <laughs> As a coach, it's great to see any of your players go on and compete in the next level, even if it's not the sport that you coached them in. Bobby deserves this recognition, and I hope he has great success going forward. <laughs> Kayak bass fishing is similar to standard competitive bass fishing, but has a few key differences. Per kayak bass fishing rules, KBF rules, a team consists of four anglers with scoring, while scoring is determined by length, which is measured in quarter-inch increments, with the five longest verified lengths totaled for the individual angler score. Kayaks are limited to being propelled solely by paddle, pedal, pole, or some electric motors. While all fish caught must be at least a foot long and a member of the black bass species, which includes largemouth, spotted, Guadalupe, shoal, and smallmouth bass. All fish are released after being caught, measured, and photographed for scorekeeping purposes. The tournament schedule runs from February until October. As the name suggests, all fishing is performed from a kayak. See, I what the see- hell? Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Wonder what he's going to take in school. It's probably business or something. Hundred ways to play football. <laughs> It is interesting, though, that you can make something out of this. And you wonder, like, is that a career progression? Like, it's just, it is so weird to see Where do you go after college? Yeah, I know. You, I mean, there is like, no... I mean, because really, there's... If you want to make money at it, you either have to compete at a high level when yeah. not that much money at it. You still have to have another job unless you're like unless you One get of those to, sports bass masters. Yeah, you tournaments need, with the big ranger boats. Exactly, you're gonna need I, sponsors, I, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. But honestly, if him fishing gets him a college education, yeah. Oh, good exactly. on him. Exactly. Yeah. You're being paid to go to school and fish yeah. <laughs> from a kayak. Really? That's incredible. If you ever complain that your life is crap, I'm <laughs> <laughs> coming down there and I'm kicking you out of that boat. Yeah. Woe's me. My job is fishing. Oh, my job. I got to go to school and I got to fish. <laughs> what? Wait, what? <laughs> what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> studying. What are you studying? Fishing. I, uh, I love to go to the movies, but I got to practice my casting from a sitting position. <laughs> yeah, you're not even standing. <laughs> I'm not even standing. I'm sitting in the boat. I got to practice. This, this is a sport, right? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. What electives do you take in school? Beer drinking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. That's, that's just nuts. Right? Bobby Tran, you are our, <laughs> good on you. You're our hero, buddy. <laughs> Hopefully, it all works out for yeah. him. And yeah, like I say, we joke, but you know, congratulations yeah, to him for, exactly. for hey, because you know what? If that opportunity came our way, we'd be on that like white on rice. <laughs> oh buddy. yeah, like <laughs> amazing. Ah, uh, the things I find <laughs> on the internet some days. Where do we find it? <laughs> 
Anyway, you got anything else? I don't. <laughs> Just a reminder that the Canadian Canoe Museum is opening in May. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about it again sometime before yeah, maybe May. maybe once or twice. Yeah. Maybe once or twice. <laughs> Are you going to Canoe Copia next year? I had not. I have not committed. Yeah. Do you we, know anybody who's driving that way? I don't know. <laughs> right now, I'm thinking no. Yeah. But... If I go, it's going to be a last-minute thing, I'm thinking. Yeah. I got so many things going. And I there's a couple other shows that, like, really close. Yeah, 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 yeah. And our film festival is, like, the Tuesday after. So I get mm-hmm. home late, late, late yeah. Friday or Saturday, Sunday. I want to go at least once. I've never been to Canucopia. I want to see it at least once. Yeah. Maybe yeah, when I'm retired. Who knows? Yeah. If they last that long. A lot of these shows. Oh, yeah. This will be around for a while. Yeah, not all shows are around forever, right? They, they they have their ebb and flow and... Yeah. Well, this one's ebbing. Is it? Flowing. Yeah. Flowing and ebbing. <laughs> ebbing and flowing. But there's a, there's a couple that runs the whole thing. So should they retire or give it up? Like, you're Oh, gonna, I don't think Darren's going to... Even if he, he's 100, yeah. he'll still be running this thing. Because like the uh, the Canoe Symposium and Winter Camping Symposium... David, like yeah. Yeah, David Bain has given that up. So I don't know that we'll ever see something like that anymore. Eh, Maybe. I never know. Yeah. Maybe his wife will say, you know what? David, I need you out of the house. I need you out of the house. <laughs> Do something. Get another hobby. <laughs> he found that very stressful. The organization yes. and yeah, like making everything happen smoothly and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he got, he got a lot of. I don't envy him the job. He got a lot of complaining from a lot of people about. Yeah. Well, I can just go watch these on YouTube and blah blah blah. blah. Yeah. Then you know what? Step up. Exactly. Step exactly. up. You know, those are the people that that do all the whining. Is the ones that don't step up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, if you've got nothing else, then I've got nothing else. That means we've got nothing else. (laughs) So if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and X, formerly known as Twitter. That's everywhere now. Mm. They don't say X. They say X, formerly known as Twitter. Yes. So X, formerly known as Twitter. And I don't think they're going to be around much longer. (sighs) Who knows? Download or stream all our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can just go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and you can stream or download all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 